Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. The title of Dr. Spawn's sermon today is The Church's High Calling. The big idea is the church is called to make the manifold wisdom of God known as our lives are increasingly transformed by the gospel. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we do declare that you are, you are holy. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us so graciously in all of creation, through your word, the power of your spirit, and most clearly in the person of Jesus. We pray that you would truly fill us with awe and wonder as we contemplate who you are and the gracious work that you've done for us in Jesus. That we would gain some measure of understanding of the grace and the mercy that you extend to us, that you let us become a part of your people. To be a part of that group that has the the privilege and the responsibility to represent you in the world. Lord, we know that we are not sufficient for such things, but we pray that you would do more than we can even begin to ask or imagine by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in and through us. We're mindful that we all come into this sanctuary in different places today. Some of us, we come rejoicing. We celebrate the gift of new life in May, and we do pray for Andrew and Anna even again, Lord, that you would use them to help her come to know Christ and that we would be filled with a certain sense of hope at all that you might do in the new beginnings that you give us through new life. We're mindful of those whose hearts are heavy with grief today. We pray for Barbara Morgan and the death of her sister. We pray for Michael Canavespri and the death of his father. We pray the Holy Spirit would be so close to them that they would know your presence and your provision, that they would grieve as those who have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, open our hearts to hear what you would say to us through your word. Pray that you would guard my thoughts, that you would guard my words, that if anything that I say is not true or helpful, that it would fall away, but that which is would remain in us and transform us. We offer this in Jesus' name, the one who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you brought your own Bible, I'd encourage you to Pull it out and follow along. If you didn't, guess what? We've provided one for you there in the pew. And Ephesians chapter 3 is on page 828. 828. I told the first congregation, I just encourage you each week as we read Scripture together to find it in your Bibles and follow along because we really are people who are people of the book. And God's revelation to us in Scripture is so important to us. So I invite you to make that a habit. On the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this. 
For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, that has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to his holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given through me by the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the highest honor you have ever received? What's the highest honor that you've ever received? And then how did that honor, or your recognition of the significance of that honor, change the way that you lived um, moving forward? Some examples of things that might be honors that you've received. Those of you who play sports, um, if on your sports team the coach designates you as the captain, if you're supposed to be the person that is representative most fully of all the things that the coaches have laid out as aspirational goals for your team. If that means something to you, then chances are you start to think about how your actions and your attitude set the example for everybody else on the team. And maybe you start showing up first to practice and you start leaving last. Um, Maybe you start actually paying attention in class or thinking about how you act in the community really does set the example or set the stage for everyone else on your team. It might be that you got a new role at work. I can certainly relate to that currently. You got a new role at work, and with this new responsibility, you also feel these new privileges and this weight of of now, I have this opportunity for more influence, I have this opportunity, but I also feel a great sense of responsibility. And it might be in your work or your calling that you have more employees under you now. And at first you think, this is great, I got a promotion. But then you start thinking, wait a minute, All these people are also trying to feed their families. All these people are also trying to pay their mortgage. And you feel the weight now that that your work is more than just a paycheck. It is that, but it's also this sense of stewardship of what God's given you. Those of you who have had children before, who are moms and dads, um, we can relate to that really easily. Thank you, Andrew and Anna. The first time that you look into the eyes of your new child, you can feel this sense of responsibility of like, oh no, I can't be a kid anymore. That what I do and what I, how I act, I'm now, I have this life that God's entrusted to me and I want this life that God's entrusted to me. I don't want to mess them up too bad. So you start growing up and growing into that role. But whatever it is in your life, most of us can relate to this idea that, that this honor is given to us 
And when that honor is given to us, we understand the significance of it, then we start to live differently because we know that it's about more than just us at that point. And when I ask you what's the greatest honor that anyone's ever bestowed upon you that then made you think about how you lived, how many of you first thought about the time that you placed your faith in Christ for salvation and became a member of God's people? I have to admit to you, as I think about it, it wasn't the first thing maybe that occurred to me. But as we read Scripture, it becomes pretty evident that, that when you and I place our faith in Jesus and we become members of God's people, that there is a sense in which there are all these rights that we get when we come to faith in Jesus. But sometimes we don't think nearly as much about the responsibilities that we have as the people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, to then go out into the world and represent Jesus to the world. You've heard other staff members tell you that today is Epiphany Sunday, and it's that, that day where we do think about Jesus revealing himself to the Gentiles, people like us largely. But I want you to think about and consider that now people can't see Jesus in the flesh. That he's descended to the right hand of the Father and that you and I, one of the ways that Scripture refers to us is that we're the body of Christ. What would it mean for us to really embrace that understanding of the significance of our lives in the world? That when I walk out my front door, I'm not representing just my family, I'm not representing just myself, but I'm also representing Jesus in the world. Or for us as a community of faith, here uniquely at the corner of Montevallo and Overbrook Road, what would it look like for us to take seriously the responsibility God's given us to represent God in the world? So that as people come into contact with us as a church, or if we go around the neighborhood and we say, what do you know about Mount Root Baptist Church? Would there be some sense in them that they think, I may not agree with everything they believe. In fact, I think they're kind of crazy. But I'm glad they're here. And I think they believe what they say they believe because I watch their lives and they're a source of blessing to our community. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, and he spends the first half of the letter talking about what identity we've been given when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's deep theological language as he's unpacking what does it mean for us to come to faith in Jesus and what is true of us on the other side of that confession of faith. And then he spends the second half of the letter saying, okay, if this is true, if this is who you are, then now this is how you ought to live in the world. I want you to look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to give you some of that deep theological language, okay? We're going to look starting in verse 11. This is what Paul says about who we are before we come to faith in Jesus. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul might have been able to paint our picture of what we're like before we come to faith in Jesus with more bleak terms, but I'm not sure it's possible. 
you read that and you listen to what he says, is that, that those of us who are Gentiles, are born into the world apart from God's people, and we really don't even have access to the revelation of God through his covenants and through the promises that he made to Abraham. And he sums it up there at the end. He says, you're without hope and you're without God in the world. Imagine that. That apart from Christ, you and I walking around the world without hope and without God. But in Jesus, all of that is changed. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So Paul says that that in Jesus, God took on flesh and he did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And where the law and its ordinances once kept us from relationship, Christ obeyed all of that perfectly on our behalf. He broke down that wall so that you and I now receive a new identity in Jesus. It's so important that you hear that. That Christianity is not, hey, you're a terrible person. If you can just do all these things and you become a better person that God will accept. It really is good news because we were without hope. We were without God. There was no plan by which you and I could work ourselves up to him. So in Christ, he came down to us. And now, rather than there being Jews and Gentiles in Paul's thinking, there's those who belong to God's people and those who don't. And you and I, when we come to faith in Christ, we become members of God's people. Listen to what he says if you skip down to verse 19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul says, at one time, you were outside of God's people because of what you have received through faith in what Christ did for you. Now you are citizens. You are members of God's household. As I was reading this passage this week, I thought about naturalization ceremonies. Just by chance, has anyone ever been to a naturalization ceremony? I think I would love to go to one. Imagine this, that that someone who comes in, that that they're, they're outside, they don't have citizenship in the United States. But they come to America, they do all the things they're supposed to do, they pass the test that I've heard most of us probably couldn't pass. And they stand up and they take this oath to be faithful to the country, Pledge of Allegiance, and I watched a few of those um, on that wonderful thing God has given us, YouTube. And one of the things that's so fascinating is at the end of that ceremony, in most of them that I watched, the the government official who's up there at the front kind of gives this really, this powerful call on the other side. He says, I know that you're, you're prone to focus on all of the rights that you get now as an American citizen. 
The things that you once did not have access to, but now you have access to all these things. But I also want to challenge you to embrace the responsibilities. I want you to go out and be a good citizen. And there's such a parallel for me as I think about our relationship with God through faith in Christ. That according to Paul, we once were outside of God's people. And I have to admit to you that I'm not really used to feeling like an outsider. There haven't been that many places where I've walked into and I thought, I don't know if I belong here. Especially church. I've been a part of church for longer than I can remember being alive. But Paul's word to us is a reminder that I don't belong in God's people. There's nothing I could do to become a part of God's people, but through his grace and mercy, I'm now given that with all the rights that go along with it. That I'm adopted into God's family, that I'm given an inheritance that can never fade or perish away, that the Holy Spirit keeps for me, that nothing can separate me from God's love and Jesus Christ. I focus oftentimes on all of the privileges I have as a member of God's people but I don't always think about the responsibilities placed on me as a follower of Jesus. I think it's helpful for us as individuals in our pursuit of knowing the Lord and for us as a people to step back and be in awe of all that God has done for us. That through Jesus, he would give us this privilege of belonging to his people something that we know we don't deserve, something we know we could never earn, no test you can pass, no fee you can pay, no oath you can make, but that Jesus does that for us. And it totally transforms how we think about who we're called to be in the world. You see, I think Paul understood the gravity of what God had done for him in Jesus. It's easy for us to think about the Apostle Paul as this saint but Scripture is really clear that Paul was not the nicest guy in the world before he came to know Jesus. As a matter of fact, if we were all gathered here in the first century and Paul were to walk through the back doors, we're not rushing to greet him. We're looking for the exits. We're like, all right, I'm out of here. Paul's going to drag me to prison. Paul's part of opposition to our movement. And he's the very one that God chose to reveal Jesus to and call him and give him this mission to the Gentiles. Did you hear how Paul describes himself in Ephesians chapter 3? He said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul knew that he wasn't a great person. Paul knew that apart from God intervening in his life in a miraculous way in the person of Jesus, Paul would have continued down this trajectory. But once God did this work of salvation in his life through faith in Jesus, Paul became passionate and motivated to follow after Jesus and to proclaim this good news to anybody who would listen. When I read of Paul's story in the book of Acts and I read his letters, many of them written from prison, I stand in awe a little bit of the fact that Paul just kept going. But I probably would have at somewhere along the way said, maybe this is not God's will for me. 
prison, beatings, all these things. Maybe I would have just gone back the other way. But because Paul understood the significance of the grace he had received, he couldn't stop preaching the gospel and going all throughout the known Roman world so that Gentiles, like you and me, would have a chance to hear this good news that God has done something in Jesus that we can't do for ourselves. I wonder if we feel that same way as Paul feels. Sometimes, if I'm honest with you, I probably think that God would be lucky to have me on his team. Not that bad. And when I start thinking that way, the gospel doesn't seem as good to me, and I don't understand the privileges as much as I should, and then I kind of just settle into this life of complacency. And I don't think, what's at stake in how I live my life? And Christianity can become, I made this profession of faith, I was baptized in the baptistry, and really I'm just hanging on until Jesus comes back or I go to heaven. And I don't think about the consequences of how I live my life day in and day out. But Paul says something that I think is, is pretty fascinating in verse 10. He says, his intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So there ought to be something about the quality of our life together that is different from every other human organization, that people see that God is at work in a supernatural way to transform us to be more like Jesus. And it's not just us being humans gathered together, operating according to worldly principles. In his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is what we know it as, he makes this wonderful statement. He's chastising the believers in Corinth and he says, you are lining up behind different uh, leaders in the church based on how great they are. Are you not behaving in a merely human way? What an indictment Paul levels on the church. He's like, everybody outside the church operates like this. You look for the most powerful, you look for the most impressive, and you try to follow them. But you're not just a human institution. You are the church or the community of the Holy Spirit, and there ought to be something supernatural and different about who you are and your fellowship. Now, I don't want you to leave church today with a lot of guilt. <laughs> the message today is not go out and try harder to be more faithful and become more of who God's called you to be. The message really is to, to understand and to recognize the gravity of all that God has done for us in Jesus. And much like you would, I guess, you would leave a naturalization ceremony of like, whoa, I'm a citizen now. I'm going to go vote in that local election that Wayne doesn't go vote in because I used to not be able to. It's a privilege that I get to do this. And for you and I to think about our faith in that same way and to respond in gratitude and be open to the Holy Spirit to change us, and we're not going to get it perfect every time. I'm going to tell you a few ways that we might bear the image of Jesus in our fellowship, and we're not going to get it perfect every time. But there ought to be grief in our hearts and a sense of repentance when we don't get it right. 
and a desire to be more in the image of Christ. As Paul finishes the letter to the Ephesians, one of the things that he says ought to be true of us is that we ought to be unified in the Spirit. That we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And that ought to give us a deep sense of unity with each other. Now, if there's one thing that our world knows a lot about, it's disunity. Goodness knows. Over the last three years, there's everything that you and I could decide to be divided on. And we get mad at each other and we get frustrated with each other. And we can't understand why you can't see what I believe is true. And you can't. And there's just kind of this temperament of disunity all around us. And Paul says it shouldn't be that way in the church. That there ought to be this sense of unity that you have in your confession of Jesus as your one Lord and the one baptism that you've shared. There's unity among us. Paul says that we ought to care about each other. Now, it's real easy to walk in church and evaluate everything based on how it fits your your, your likes and desires and wishes, isn't it? You walk in and you're like, sermon was pretty bad today, honestly. I didn't get anything out of that. Sam was kind of off this morning. You know, where'd my donuts go? There's all these things as you come to church, you can just think, oh, this is not like I want it to be. And you can totally miss out on the fact that God calls you to come to church in, in large measure to look up and look out at the other people that God's brought here and say, Lord, how would you call me to use the gifts you've given me to invest in and build other people up? Paul says that we've all been called to be equipped for ministry, to build other people up, because I don't know if you've noticed it or not, it's a really tough world out there apart from Jesus. That we would have a heart for each other and leverage our gifts and talents to build others up. Paul says that as followers of Christ, we ought to forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven us. Wouldn't it have been nice if Paul just said forgive each other? Like that whole forgiving other people as God in Christ has forgiven us really is a supernatural thing. Because God has forgiven me time and time and time and time again. And he expressed his love and mercy for me most when I was at my most unlovable. Those of you who've been married any amount of time, you understand this. I mean, not that Mary and I understand this, but you understand this. You stand in front of the congregation. You're young. You still, like, you look good. Everything's out before you. And then life kind of hits you at some point along the way. And you start to understand that forgiveness and love that you extend to each other is a love and a forgiveness that surpasses kind of this, I see something awesome in you, you see something awesome in me. That's something that the world understands. The supernatural love that you and I are shooting for is that love when we stick together and we keep pursuing each other, even when we don't deserve it, even when we're at our worst. I hope that we, as individuals and as a community of faith, that God would so move us in our hearts as we hear the gospel and as we understand more of who God is, that we would be transformed. We would understand, hey, I got, I got no rights on God. He didn't owe me anything. I didn't deserve to be a part of his people. No fee I could pay, no test I could pass. But Jesus did all that for me. 
And now I'm a citizen and a member of his people. And with that comes all these wonderful rights, but also I acknowledge that on the other side, there's also this responsibility that I have to go out and bear witness to the good news of all that God has done for me in Christ. My prayer is that we become more and more of that kind of fellowship, is that people will come and they interact with us. They say, why are all of you strange people together on a Sunday? And we say, well, really I wouldn't be apart from Jesus with these people. But we have this common identity, we have this common calling, and that's what unites us. And there's something supernatural about what God's doing here. And I think if that starts to happen more and more, people are going to see the good news on display in our lives, and they're going to be drawn to that. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for um, the grace that you've extended to us. Lord, if there are parts of our hearts that we think we have a claim upon you or we think we deserve what we've been given in Jesus, pray that you would help us to see the folly of that kind of thinking. That we would be able to, with the Apostle Paul, say that we are, we're the least of the people that you should have pursued through grace, through faith in Jesus, but you did. That we didn't deserve to be a part of your people, but you graciously allowed us to. You adopted us into your family, that you fill us with your spirit, that you call us to represent you in the world. And Lord, we acknowledge that we need you to fulfill our calling. We can't perfectly do it in our own power, and our own strength. We pray that you'd make us more and more unified as a people, that you would help us to acknowledge that you've given us gifts and you've called us to care about others in our fellowship, that they might know you more fully. Help us to freely forgive. Help us to love even as Christ loved us. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.